Many podcasters stick with the normal podcasting practices, but you, you're different. You like to be different and try different things. You do it like this, and then you break the mold. This is Podcasting Experiments, and this is where we focus on different things that we can try with our podcast to make them different and hopefully better. You can check out the website at podcastingexperiments.com. My name is Joshua Rivers from Podcast Guy Media, where I help people start and produce their podcast. In today's episode of Podcasting Experiments, we're going to be talking with Richard Hayduck. He is a former life sciences executive and mentor, but he's also the author of the book, Shifting Gears. In this episode, we're going to specifically talk about how we can be able to utilize podcasting to help grow our business, as well as how you can be able to be a great podcast host and guest. Richard, as he was writing his book, he interviewed a ton of people, so he got a lot of insight as an interviewer and how to be able to hone those skills, but also to be able to promote his book, he has been going on other people's podcasts. And so he is learning how to be a great guest as well. So there's going to be a lot of great things that you can be able to gather from this conversation from somebody that is in the middle of doing all of this to be able to promote his book and be able to be able to spread the word of what he's trying to do. You can definitely learn a lot from it. So let's jump into today's episode with Richard Hayduck. When I was seven years old, I wanted to be an author. And every day I would write a story. Um, and that was going to be my life's work. And that lasted for about a year. And then I discovered basketball and playing outdoors with my buddies and all of that. And my writing career ended at age eight. Then 65 years later, I had a situation occur where I said, you know what, that lifelong dream of being an author could now come true in my 70s. And the trigger for that was seeing a lot of my buddies and my colleagues who were doing really interesting things in their retirement. And in some cases, very surprising things. Probably one of the trigger points for that was a guy I've known for years. And we were talking one night and he said, did you know I was in the Senior Olympics? And I said, what? You were in the Senior Olympics? And he says, yeah, and I won a medal. And then he went, he says, and then I went to the Chinese Olympics and I won another medal. And I said, Dave, how come we've never talked about this? He says, oh, I was kind of humble about it. I didn't want to share that. Uh, and he says, but when I tell people, I say I was in the Olympics. I don't say senior Olympics anymore. Um, so that happened. And it was kind of a trigger for me, Joshua. I thought, that's really a cool story. And he was not someone who wanted to tell it, either one-on-one -on -one or in a public way. I had two or three other experiences of finding somebody who had an interesting and surprising story and an emotional connection to it. And, you know, one day I kind of woke up and I said, these stories need to be told. They need to be put in one place with all of the diverse kinds of activities that people have in their retirement and have kind of a, a storytelling book. What is, what is it that people are doing in this stage of their life? So I got started yeah. on that. As a retiree, it's easier to do something like that because if you don't like it, you can stop. So I said two <laughs> criteria. First criteria is it's got to be fun. When it stops being fun, it stops being a project. And second, it's got to feel like it's a real book. It's got to feel like it's contributing something that has not really been covered very well before in the existing literature around retirement. Yeah, that definitely sounds very interesting. But 
okay, so you write the book and that's great, but obviously you want other people to be able to read the book and you want to be able to share that. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about is that you're starting to dip your toe into the podcasting world to be able to share your message, be able to spread the knowledge of the book and the information in the book and things like that. But what are some other ways that you've tried to market this book? I think a combination of things. I think traditional social media and primarily Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, while I was writing the book, I was expanding that platform and got it, um, you know, so it's active and vibrant now and quite a, quite a large number of people. And then I'm part of several Facebook groups where they have, you know, narrow definition groups of retirees or baby boomers or there's one called aging gracefully there's about a dozen different groups that are focused on this demographic and focused on the topic of what do you do in retirement and so i'm very active in that very interactive as well and that's been helpful mm -hmm. i've also found that there's a lot of curiosity for the written word i have my own website and have had it for quite a while and i, I put blogs there but then I get distribution to a lot of other locations that have existing audience. And I'm a guest blogger at locations that have about 200,000 subscribers between them, between them all. So I'm getting a fairly broad distribution, broad, but not deep. Um, as, as you can appreciate 200,000 subscribers, mm -hmm. who knows how many of them have actually read the stuff that I've posted there. <laughs> but I think the premise, and this is what kind of led me to podcasting, to the way I'm doing podcasting was two things. One, the book is really storytelling. And what's a better place to tell a story than a podcast? So when you describe somebody that had four surgeries on their legs and then decided to climb Kilimanjaro, that's a fun story to tell in a podcast setting. The other premise that I've followed is that I need to have my own following on social media and so forth and my own website, but tapping into the audience that's already there from other organizations that are doing things. So finding podcasts that already have distribution and then being a guest on that sounded to me like a better path than starting a podcast and then struggling to get my first three followers. Why not just take advantage of the people that already have a podcast, already have a following, and just do a lot of them and hope that this topic is sufficiently interesting that the podcaster would say, oh, yeah, I'd love to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely a really good angle. And that's why a lot of people seem to get into the podcasting world, especially as a guest, because they don't want to go through all the work. You mentioned about, about doing all the struggle just to be able to get a few followers and things like that. I mean, but that doesn't even mention like all the different time and effort and everything that goes into creating a podcast. Um, and so, and then maintaining it and doing all of that. And, um, and so as, as you and I were discussing uh, prior to recording, I had stopped my podcast for a period of time. And so I lost a lot of the following that I had. And so now I'm starting to be able to kind of make the climb again and start to build it up again. And so it takes a little bit of work. It takes consistency and all those kind of things to be able to do that. And you don't have to worry about that as a guest, at least not from like maintaining a particular podcast. It's just trying to find the podcast to be able to get out there. Yeah. And the other part of this too, I've got kind of a deadline here. So the book publishes November 17th. 
And so I want to have activity up to that launch and following that launch. So for the balance of this year to be pretty active, if I were doing my own podcast by the end of the year, you, you know, you know better than I do, but if I had 50 followers by the end of the year, would that be kind of average for a new podcast? I, I don't know. Whereas going as a guest on other people's podcasts, I can just get to more numbers uh, more easily. Mm-hmm. The other, one other point I wanted to make about being a guest is that the interviewers are terrific. I mean, they, they draw you out. They, they have an angle. They have something they want to talk about. And I think it's accurate to say they have made the episodes more interesting than I would have made them on my own because some of these people are just really skilled interviewers and they really know how to make it interesting, make it fun, and to draw out the really important points. Uh, so that's, that's been neat to see. Yeah, there's definitely a, a lot more dynamic that can happen when you have more than one person being able to do that. And like you said, a lot of times the different podcasts, because you're going on different podcasts that they, they have slightly different niches. So they're attacking the situation. Maybe attack is the right word, but they're approaching the situation from different angles. Yes. And so you might have like the same story or similar stories, but you're telling them in different ways and different and things like that. So different parts of the conversation come out. And yeah, that is definitely a very good benefit to being able to do that. And, and just building on that a little bit, Joshua, I, you know, I interviewed about 75 retirees. I got about 800 pages of transcript. So I've got a ton of material, way, way more than is ending up in the book. But this idea of the niche play really does make sense. So I, I was on one that was about spiritual aspects. And I've got a half a dozen of my interviews were about someone who had a spiritual experience and was willing to share at a deep and emotional level. There are others that are about physical conditioning. You know, and I've got a guy who ran his 19th marathon and almost did him in. He was almost collapsed on the finish line. They had to put an IV in him. You know, so that Mm. fit in a physical fitness uh, podcast. I've got others that are about managerial things, leadership things, and people who you know, wanted to do that. Social impact Mm -hmm. things, people who are volunteering and do stuff. So I can slice and dice to cover a lot of different angles that podcasters are taking. Mm -hmm. So that's been fun. It's been neat to kind of tell a a lot of different stories, all of which are around this thing, you know, what are retirees doing? So now as, as you're approaching this, you're new to the podcasting world, it seems. So how did you first hear about podcasting and what made you decide that, this versus whatever some of the other methods was what you really wanted to try to focus on right now? Well, two answers to that question. I am kind of of the view that all promotion is good promotion. So podcast is part of a mix of other things. And I just say the the more different things I can do, the better. I don't want to be just the Facebook guy or just the LinkedIn guy or or just the podcast guy. I want to have all of that. And the same thing with guest blogging and and, and all that. I just want to be in a lot of different places uh, simultaneously. So the more specific answer is one of the people who has helped me with the book immensely is an existing author. And she's a real opinion leader in her field. And she's a very sought after podcast guest. And she says, it's great. You just show up, you tell them what you want to tell them. They take care of everything. And she said, you ought to try it, see if it works for you. And she said something else, which I viewed with some skepticism, 
She said, when I apply for a podcast guest spot, nine out of 10 times, I get accepted. And I said, yeah, but you've got qualifications. You're not doing this for the first time. You're an opinion leader in the field. And she said, well, that might have something to do with it. But you'll find that people are very receptive and you'll get a very high number of acceptances when you describe what you're doing. In some ways, she was right, but not at the 9 out of 10 level, more uh, more like 5 out of 10. <laughs> but that's still okay. It's not that big a deal to yeah. apply for a podcast. So I really appreciate that. Well, what was your strategy then? So you heard about that. You start working on it. So what have you done to try to be able to get the attention of podcasters or to try to pitch yourself, if you will? The first thing I needed to do was finish up the book and the final edits and all that. So I had a schedule to be done with that by October 1st. And so I said, I'm going to go from being a book author to being a book salesman on October 1st. And so during late September, I started sending out requests to uh, various podcasters. And I used some organizations that provide leads. Uh, There's a a group called Podit, which you're probably familiar with. I'm also a member of the Nonfiction Authors Association, who every Friday sends me a list of leads. And then there's that radio guest list, which has, I think it's once a week or so, they send out leads. And when I first started, if it was even close to what I was doing, I would apply. Now I'm much pickier. Mm -hmm. But during the month of October, I I haven't really kept close count of it, but I probably got 20 podcasts, maybe more more like 15 podcasts in the month of October. And I've got a a full schedule in November as well. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of close to my personal capacity. (laughs) I'm just not sure I can do much (laughs) more than that. But when I'm on the podcast, it's great. I just love it. I'm really meeting some interesting people and having some interesting conversations And the podcast interviewer is showing real enthusiasm for the stories. They say, oh, this is great. I love this. This is really cool. And and, and this is really a great book. And they say all the right things. And then I ask myself, well, they kind of have to do that anyway. Is that a real positive (laughs) or is that a false positive? And I kind of don't care. You know, it's... If they truly liked it, that's great. If they just said they like it, that that was polite. But my reading of it is that they have a genuine enthusiasm at the end of the interview. It's too soon to tell what the impact of that is in terms of book sales. The book is pre-order right now and is published on November 17th. So some of this is building up demand for when the book is launched. So... If you said, how many books do you think you sold off of a podcast? I'd have to say, I don't know. <laughs> but because it's pre-order, the, the numbers are fairly small. So I, there's nothing that says this was a home run for sure at the end of October. But we'll see. I think it helped. And it helped in either a small, medium, or large way. And it may be that I never know. It may be that because I'm doing a lot of things in parallel, if I sell a book, is that because of the podcast I did yesterday or is it because of the blog I did the day before? I just don't know. Mm-hmm. So we'll see about that. It feels like uh, two things. One, the podcasts themselves and the discussion are very supportive and really are. It's a great way to tell stories. It's a great way to, to share those kinds of experiences that are in the book. So that part is terrific. 
The part I'm not sure about is from a podcast, you have to then do a next step. You can't press a button on the podcast that takes you to my website. You can't press a button on the podcast that takes you to Amazon to order the book or to Barnes and Noble to order the book. And a lot of the podcasters have a cover page where where there are those links and and you you can go and, and do those sorts of things. But I don't know if anybody goes to those pages. I think the people listen to the podcast and then there's not a button to press. You know, they're in their car, you know, driving to work, listening to the podcast. By the time they get home, are they still going to convert that to an action either to follow me on social media or to sign up for my website or to order a book? I, you know, I don't know how to get past that obstacle of being disconnected from the next step. And in some ways, print's a little easier because when you do print, you just put a link at the bottom and then they go to wherever, you know, they can go to social media or they can go to my website or they can go to Amazon and those links are all there at the bottom of the printed page. Podcasting doesn't have as easy a connection to the behaviors that I'm seeking. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that, and that is definitely one of the drawbacks to being able to have this type of medium where, like you said, if someone's driving their car, they can't just jump on the website and go and look up whatever it is, be able to get your book or whatnot. Now, in podcast apps, most of them have it to where just right there in the app, they can be able to put the links and have that there so they don't have to go to a website. I mean, that makes it a little bit easier. But, but like you said, there, there is that challenge of making the content compelling enough that it's going to stick in their brain long enough for them to be able to do that. And so that is definitely a challenge, especially if there's someone that listens to a bunch and they might just listen to a back to back and then they might forget about it. But being able to have something compelling enough that they want to be able to see that. And so, I mean, if if you're on a podcast and you are talking about someone that is like you mentioned about, they had the, four leg surgeries and then what was it goes climb a mountain it's so, like yeah, really interesting and it, <laughs> yeah and, and, it, and it's like okay well i want to i want to learn more about that story right yeah. and so and, and so and so things like that be able to create that curiosity and then um and then in the process too, try to make it easy for someone to be able to take action so if you're saying hey go to my website.com slash da 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 slash da, da, it, it makes it too complicated so just make it a super simple thing that people can be able to remember and um and that makes it a lot easier as well to be able to be able to do that podcast listeners in general are more apt to take action than like someone watching a tv show I and mean, i know i've seen that statistics somewhere but right and so it's a good way to be able to do that you and it's harder to be able to track a lot of that kind of stuff unless you build it into where it's like okay you come on okay you're on the podcasting experiments podcast okay go to dot da, 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 da slash podcasting experiments and then you can be able and it'll get you the book and then you know that anyone that uses that link does that and you can be able to do some tracking that way but right yeah. it is a little bit more ominous and there might be some things out there too that I'm just not aware of, but. So the offset to that is that it's a great storytelling medium. And I think with the great interviewers and the great stories that I've got, the opportunity to be memorable is there. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody's listening to five podcasts back to back and they only do it while they're driving to work, 
I'm not sure I can break through to that. <laughs> but I think if there's 100 people listening and 10 of them are interested, if five of them take an action, that's still great. That's five more than I had mm-hmm. before. Yeah. So it, it's, it's all kind of a numbers game. I think the other thing that I'm seeing in the social media stuff is that the numbers are huge, but they narrow down quickly of those who take action. And it's easy to get a like it's harder to get them to come to your website or to purchase a book. So this whole thing is a giant funnel and podcasts have have a different kind of funnel, but it's still a funnel of a large number of people getting to a small number of people getting to an even smaller number who actually take the behavior. That's why my overall strategy is to say, I'm just going to keep at this and I'm going to do a lot of podcasting and a lot of other stuff so that the numbers start to get on my side that the number of contacts is large. And so even with low percentage conversion, uh, it's good. And, you know, just strive to make the percentage conversion be higher and higher. Yeah, there's a lot of things to be able to consider when, when it comes to those things. And like you said, being able to get the volume, being able to be on many different shows helps your name to be able to get out there. And you mentioned also that like you're doing other things as well, sharing on social and doing other things to be able to promote the book as well. And like you said, you sometimes wonder, okay, when you look back, are you going to be able to tell where it came from? Well, it might be a multitude of sources to where so I was like, someone hears you on this podcast and on this podcast and they see a social media post and somewhere all the, it all connects. And then they don't use any of those links to go find your book, but then they find your book and buy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so, so then, then you can't track it, but, but it all fed into it. It all builds into each other and helps support it. And I like one of the things too, that you said there about being able to have an environment for being able to have storytelling and things like that and be able to do that. I know for me personally, doing podcasting really helps you be able to hone your message and be able to convey it better and better each time. So as you do more podcast interviews as a guest, you're going to find yourself starting to share the same story multiple times and you can get better at being able to share that in a, in a different way or, or whatever, or just really be able to hone that in. It seems like. Yeah. I I think that's an important point. I, I get more practiced at the stories and therefore presumably I get better. I hope I do. But the interviewers are influencing me as well because they'll draw me out in a certain way that I hadn't thought about. And they'll have a question that that I say, wow, I hadn't really looked at it that way. So then the next podcast I do when I'm telling that story, I incorporate my improvements, but also some of the new things that a good interviewer brought out of me. Mm -hmm. So it's a learning experience. And, and I would say my podcasts are better now after doing this for a month than they were right at the start. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a lesson too for, for someone that's listening and they're maybe not considering being a guest, but they have their podcast and they bring guests on for them to realize that to be able to improve their interviewing skills so they can be able to learn to draw those things out to be able to create those better stories and be able to create a better experience for everyone involved. And so hopefully that's an encouragement to the podcast hosts as well to be able to do that. I know I need that encouragement sometimes to be able to really draw that out and be able to help like cultivate that curiosity even as well. And what, what's been fun for me as well, Joshua, you know, I interviewed 75 retirees. So I was on your side of the microphone 
Often that was face-to-face, but I developed an interviewing skill set that evolved. So now I'm on the other side, I'm the person being interviewed, and I can see how people are working. And in some ways, I can use my behavior to help them improve as well. You know, I I found, I, I don't know if you follow Terry Gross of NPR, but she's just a spectacular interviewer. And the reason is because she just listens. And her best question is, oh, really? Oh, why is that? And, and it, you know, you, you have to be drawn out by that question. When you're on the other side of it and, somebody, and you've just described something and she says, oh, really? You have to fill that space with something. And I found when I was interviewing, oh, really was my best question. Because then people would open up and they would share and they would, I had some people telling me some really emotional stories, people who were complete strangers who became very comfortable because I wasn't pushing them. I wasn't saying, oh, tell me what, tell me da, 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 and tell me what, you know, happened here. I just say, oh, really? And then they take it where they're comfortable going and they're more comfortable because they're in charge. Mm -hmm. So it's been fun. To, it's been fun as a as a learning experience to to be the interviewer and then be the interviewee, and to see the the ways in which people are effective, or in some cases not as effective. And it, it is really interesting though that a lot of times when you really look at it, and I haven't studied it as in depth as I would like to, but a lot of the ways that you can be able to draw things out, it's just very simple, very basic questions that just help to drill drill in. Like you said, oh really or or why? Can you expound on that? Can you tell me a little bit more? Or just, just little simple things that it's not like brain surgery to try to figure these things out. But sometimes for whatever reason, we just have a, a brain blockage as to how to be able to follow up on a question or follow up on a statement. Yeah. And, and Joshua, I just to maybe this is a side issue, but the contrast between the podcast interviewers and the mass media interviewers, the people you see on TV, the podcast interviewers are a thousandfold better at listening. And the, the people on TV are all trying to build their reputation to show their ego, show how smart they are. You know, in these five-minute questions that says, oh, we're almost out of time. Just give me a yes or no answer. You know, that's just a load of crap. That, that isn't an interview that's about the guest. That's about the interviewer. And podcast interviewers, I'm finding, are focused on listening and the guest and getting their story um, and, and, and asking the kinds of questions that draw people out. Um, whereas, you know, you watch the nightly news and you watch the interviews that are conducted there and they're just awful uh, for the most part. There are exceptions to that, but for the most part, they're showing their own wisdom and experience and smarts and trying to get a raise from their boss for the smart things they said rather than the interview that they conducted. So that's, that's me on a soapbox. And you can edit that out if you want. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I think that's great. And, that, and actually, that kind of, uh, um, it kind of reminds me, like, like I've worked for, for a company to where it's, where it's like they, they say, it's like, okay, our focus is to make the customer happy. And so to make the customer happy, we need to work you to death to be able to make the customer happy. And so they're like totally breaking down the employees to where now they don't care. They want to leave. And right. so they're not going to create that 
experience that makes the customer happy. And so, whereas as opposed, there's companies where it's like, okay, let's get you in the best situation we can get you in so that you can deliver to the customer what they need. And so it's a different, it's a, it's a different way of looking at it, but the out, the, the intended outcome is essentially the same, but the approach is different. And so as you're saying there in the interview process, if you work on cultivating that relationship, cultivating that conversation and drawing those things out, the end result comes with whatever the outcome is instead of being able to do that. Cause you mentioned there about Terry gross. Um, I haven't followed, followed her uh, specifically, but any of the big name interviewers, the ones that are like really good at interviewing, they don't shine the spotlight on themselves. They shine it on the guest and because the guest is uplifted, they they just naturally get some of the spotlight as well because they were able to help pull those things out. And so it and so it's it's really interesting when you start to learn that. I guess um who is that? Zig Ziglar that had that that saying um that if you help enough people that um oh, I'm I'm butchering the whole thing up. I don't even think it was Zig Ziglar, but anyway. <laughs> but Someone it, it, somewhere knows what it. that is. What's that? <laughs> Someone somewhere knows what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I can't help you there. Um, but what's neat to see is the quality of the interviews by the podcasters. And as you can appreciate by the process that I've followed, I've got almost a random assortment here. I mean, this wasn't, uh, these were selected based on being on a website and them saying yes to me rather than some stringent quality control effort on my part. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the quality of the interviews have been terrific. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're having a a good experience with it so far. And, uh, and so hopefully I think there's a lot of really good information that we were able to share today. So, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for spending the time with us today. And then also, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell people how they can be able to learn more about you and, uh, maybe even where they can be able to get the book. Okay. So go to Amazon. The book is titled shifting gears. Um, 50 baby boomers share their meaningful journeys in retirement. But if you just put in shifting gears, um, uh, shifting gears book, it'll come up on Amazon and, and you can order their uh, ebook or uh, hardcover. Um, my website is richardhayduck.com. Um, I currently am, I have a, a, a thing on the website where you can get a free preview of the book. So a lot of people are coming to the website to get that free preview. Um, and if they just go to that w- the website, it'll be obvious how to get to that. Um, so those two things. And then I'm on social media and all of those connections are listed on my website as well. So that's way too much Sorry. for a podcast, for information, for people to action. But you just remember, order the book on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Also, to make it just a, a, hair, a step easier, we'll make sure to have the links in the show notes, too. So if you're able to get to the show notes, you can just swipe over in your app or you can go to um, podcastingexperiments.com and get the show notes right there where you can be able to get the links and uh, get your copy of the book. And so... Um, I I don't think it's I don't think the book is just for baby boomers or people in retirement. I mean, I it sounds very interesting for me just to be able to listen and then an inspiration too as to what I can be able to be able to do myself as as well. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Joshua, this has been great. I've enjoyed this. It's a different uh, a different twist on on uh, the the whole process. I enjoyed talking about. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the way you drew me out to talk about 
uh, podcasting and how that has fit with what I've been doing. That's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcasting Experiments. If you found this episode helpful, share it with someone you think would also benefit. Together, let's help raise the bar for podcasting. Check out the website at podcastingexperiments.com. Do you want to take your podcast to the next level, but just don't have the time to make it happen? Is your time stretched to the max, struggling just to get your next podcast episode out? Do you need help just getting started? Podcast Guy Media can offer the solution to both recover your time and improve your podcast. Go to podcastguymedia.com and find out how.